All right, so if you have a Bible, Mark chapter 2 is where we're going to be, starting in verse 23 uh, this morning. Mark chapter 2, verse 23. Um, I, I titled this message, as you see uh, behind me, Closed on Sunday. Um, I was, you know, I, I know a lot of you in this room, several, I say, oh, not a lot, several of you work at Chick-fil-A in this, or have worked. How many of you have worked or work at Chick-fil-A? It's pretty, it's pretty, pretty phenomenal group here. We got, we got the whole, like the whole right side over here uh, and, a, and a few sprinkled over here. It's pretty impressive. Um, and so I don't know if you guys have ever seen um, or heard of uh, Tim Hawkins. He was a comedian, or is, I don't know what was, he is a comedian, a Christian comedian, and uh, he wrote a, a song about Chick-fil-A that I want to encourage you to Google. I'm not going to show it today, um, but I want to encourage you can Google that after, afterwards, afterwards. I, I can even send you a reminder afterwards, not before or during. Um, but it's a, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty funny, funny, funny song. And I think it speaks to a lot of our hearts. What he basically communicates in this song is, oh, he loves his Chick-fil-A. And he starts thinking about waffle fries and nuggets. And then he's like, come on, kids, jump in the van. Let's go to Chick-fil-A. And then he's like, oh, yeah, it's Sunday. And then he gets all sad and teary-eyed as he communicates that it's Sunday. And I, I think that what he's communicating about Chick-fil-A and our heart's desire, you know, we love Chick-fil-A, but it's like, all right, can we wait to Monday? Sometimes you hit that craving on a, on a, Sunday, and a Sunday and you're like, where are we going to go? And he, he makes the comment on the, on the song because it rhymes. He talks about, no, I have to eat Subway uh, is where he goes on Sunday. Um, but in this song, I think it speaks a lot about at least the view that I had growing up in my home. I love sports. You guys have already, if you've been with us for a little bit, you under, probably understand my passion because I try not to use too many illustrations from sports, but I can't help myself. Uh, and so, but I grew up playing sports. I played football, baseball, and some soccer, basketball a little bit as a little kid, and then stopped playing basketball. Just I, I made the team one year in, in middle school basketball, and I sat the bench the whole year, and I was like, and then the coach put me in with like five seconds left in the game. And we didn't even have the ball. And it was like, all right, thanks. I think I'm done with basketball for the rest of my life. So, uh, so I kind of moved on from basketball, just stuck to baseball. Let me just prepare for baseball season. Um, but love sports growing up. And my parents, you know, especially baseball, if you've, I mean, it's this way with basketball too, AAU and all these different sports and stuff like that. Um, and so my parents had kind of some, some rules and guidelines uh, on what sports would look like in our home. Uh, I loved them so much that I would have played it anytime. Like I say this, like I think I could literally play golf every single day of the week, probably as an, right now as an adult. I love the game of golf. I love sports. And my, my parents uh, made it clear that Sundays was a no-no. So if you got on a travel team, you're going to tell your coach or you're going to tell your coach, sorry, I cannot play on Sunday. There's a, a famous athlete in a movie that was, uh, that was made in 1981 called The Chariots of Fire. If you haven't seen it, I encourage you to watch that. I know it's like you don't have the best graphics back in the day and all those kind of things and all this stuff, but it's an amazing story. It's a story about a guy named Eric Liddell who um, had a great first name, one. Uh, two, um, he, uh, he was an Olympian um, for Scotland. He was a, a runner, a great runner, but he was also a missionary kid. He grew up in China. His parents were missionaries in China. And he grew up there. And then, but he also was amazing at running. God had given him this incredible ability. And so for him, uh, he, he was really good at it. And come to the 1924 Olympics, um, that's a long time ago, 
1924, the Olympics, as, as he was preparing, he was going to be the Olympic representative for the 100-meter dash, um, yard dash, and then also the 400 and some others. But the schedules had come out that some of the heats were going to be on Sunday. And so he said, I'm not going to run. And a lot of the movie and, and the story behind him and the, all the different quotes about him, he presented his reasons why he was, I'm not going to run on Sunday. This is a day that I've set aside as holy unto the Lord, and I'm not going to even compete on a Sunday. I think a lot of people have a lot of different views about Sunday, or what we're going to say today is Sabbath that we see in Scripture. Sunday is not Sabbath. Uh, Sabbath was on a Saturday. Saturday instituted really all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, what is the Sabbath? You might be wondering, what is this? You might have heard that phrase before, what, like Sabbath. Or maybe you've heard that it's the fourth commandment uh, by God, that we're to keep the Sabbath day and keep it holy, we're to remember this day. We're to, and, and as God had instituted this, it started even before a command, even before a word, it started with his own action. It goes all the way back to creation. And in creation, he created everything. Sun, the moon, the stars. He makes human beings. He makes livestock. He makes animals, fish, seas, waters. The universe now comes to existence. And after six days, what does he do? You might have heard this, even if you haven't really grown up in the church, potentially. He rested. He set aside the seventh day as a day of rest. This day of the week, it was already kind of instituted. And then even before the Mosaic law, the law that was given to the Jews, again, that might be like, you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about when you say Mosaic. So Mosaic stands for Moses. It's a part of, a part of Moses' name. Moses was the leader of the people. He was the chosen one by God to go and to, to uh, get his people to lead them out of slavery in Egypt and lead them to a promised land, a land that he had for them. And so there is where you've probably heard of the Ten Commandments. And the commandments were given. And the fourth commandment was the, um, the, the commandment to honor the Sabbath day, to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy, a set apart. But even before that Mosaic law, the law given to the Jews, the law that they were to follow, God had also already instituted this through the creation story, and just kind of hints there. And then an, another incident was as they're walking, before even Sinai, as they're walking through the wilderness, if you remember this, God would provide them every single day. He said, I will provide food for you. I'm going to provide food for you. It's called manna. I'm going to, it's going to be manna from heaven. It's going to be a gift from God that you're going to wake up in the morning and there's going to be food on the ground for you to eat. And sure enough, he provided that. But he said it's just enough for each day. You're not to gather it up and to save it. And then he said on the sixth day, on the sixth day, I'll allow you to gather extra for the seventh day. I'm providing for your needs. I'm meeting your needs. But on this day, you're not to gather because if you try to, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be eat up with worms. If you hold extra, if you hold more to yourself and you try to withhold food and all those things, what's going to happen to it? It's going to rot. It's going to ruin. It's going to be nasty. It's going to be uh, not edible. They were to trust God. We already see the pictures of this idea of Sabbath even before the law of Moses uh, or the Mosaic law that God gave down. And so you might be saying again, still, what is Sabbath? Well, for the Jew, Sabbath was from sunset Friday all the way until on sunset on Saturday. So you'd have fully from Friday, from Friday evening, sunset, to Saturday evening was to be set apart as holy uh, to the Lord. Jews commanded, uh, Jews were commanded to set it aside as holy to the Lord, and it was assigned to them 
as diff- that as they were different and being set apart from the people in the nations around them. This was unique to them. Muslims do not even do this. They observe different holidays and different things. Buddhists observe different holidays. But there's not a a Sabbath day instituted. That was only a Jewish thing. And that was instituted to set them apart from the people and the surrounding nations. And so, naturally, they were told not to. And we can find this if you want to write this in your notes just for for cross-reference sake. I'm not going to quote there or go there. I'll quote, but not necessarily go there. But in Exodus 20... Uh, verses 8 through 11 is where you see God giving this law of, of the Sabbath and also a retelling. If you've ever done some Bible reading in the Old Testament, you get to Deuteronomy. I know most of us trip up in Leviticus. And we just never make it further. We eventually were like, all right, let's just skip to John. <laughs> Can we go to John, right? Um, but in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy retells a lot of the commandments again. And so in Deuteronomy 5, chapter 5, we also get, and it's basically the same statements as Exodus 20 about the Sabbath, that they're to keep it holy, they're, not to, they're to rest, they're not to work. And so, I'm giving you all this because it's going to help us understand what happens in our story. And so, naturally, they were not to work. Well, here's what happens, right? And this is where we come into our story that we've been studying through the book of Mark, is the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees were keepers of the law, and they were almost like guardians. They were trying to help everyone protect them and keep them as, uh, 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 as holy unto the Lord. And so, naturally for them, uh, they created 39 different activities and guidelines to the Sabbath. There was 39 things you were not to do because they were trying to define the word work. <laughs> you're not, so if God says you're not to work on Sunday, well... What does that mean? What, what can I do and what can I do? I mean, I have to breathe. Does that count as working? <laughs> like taking a breath. You know, how far can I walk? I mean, and that was one of them. Uh, interestingly, uh, one of the laws of the Pharisees and that they, the, the rules that they put to protect them from breaking Sabbath was you were only allowed to walk 1,999 steps on a Sabbath. You could only walk this far. They made it a distance so that you could dra- could. could Technically walk to uh, a certain area. Um, but mag- can you imagine, though, on a Sabbath, you're like, one, on the two. Like, can you take big steps? <laughs> can I take shorter steps? Like, what, what, how many steps can I actually take? Well, it was, uh, <laughs> and you really think about it. All of a sudden, you're not thinking about Sabbath. You're not thinking about rest. You're actually thinking about rules. Uh, you were not allowed to tie certain knots. There were certain knots that you could untie, but certain knots you couldn't. Uh, for instance, the heaviest thing you could carry on Sabbath is a the weight of a fig. I don't know if you've ever had a fig in your hand. Maybe you've had a fig Newton, but um, a, fi- a fig. We had a fig tree in our very first uh, house in Elberton, Georgia, and had all these figs. And I mean, I'm thinking about a fig. I mean, it's like lighter than a golf ball, but like that's the weight. That's the measurement. Like, all right, if you pick up anything, if you're putting ju- females, if you're putting jewelry on, that jewelry does not need. They would have fake jewelry so that like their their heavier jewelry would be too heavy. It's like it's too much weight, and so they would certain things that you could do. For instance, uh, women would oftentimes they would not bathe on that day. They would you know you make sure you do it before sunset on Friday because you might spill water, and if you spill water, you might do too much work. And do much cleaning. There was so many restrictions and guidelines that the the Pharisees and the teachers and the scribes of the law had put to guard Sabbath and no work. 
They put a lot of regulations on this day that you're not allowed to go and, and, and uh, take. And they would explain specifically, all right, you can't take your, your plow to the field on this day. You cannot, you, from the grain fields, you can't take uh, your winnowing fork and do all these things. You can't do these different things that you're going to put to the field. You're to do no work. And this became a heavy burden on the people of Israel. And I want us to learn a few things, and there's a, a principle of Sabbath that I want us to learn that I think we can learn today um, as well. Um, we, do not, uh, we do not set aside Saturdays as a day of Sabbath. Um, in Romans 7, Paul tells us that we as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're not under the Mosaic law anymore. There's freedom from the law of God. But I think there's some great principles, and it'll help us to understand how Jesus comes, and he is the fulfiller of um, Sabbath rest. So if you have a Bible, Mark, I know that's a long introduction to get us to our passage, but I hope that is helpful for us this morning. It says in Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 23, one Sabbath, so here we are, we're to a Sabbath again. He was going, this is Jesus, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence. Again, the bread of the presence is the picture of the tabernacle and, and the temple. And at the temple in the courtyard, or as you get further and further in, there was the, the table of presence. And this would be this unleavened bread, freshly baked, uh, unleavened bread. And it was, it was 12 of them represi- representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And David and, and some of the ones, he's fleeing and running for his life from Saul. Who David has been promised to be king. He's been anointed as king, but yet Saul is still alive. And Saul hates and his heart turns against David and he's pursuing after him. And David, as in his journeys and his wanderings, he's with these people. And he goes up to uh, the, the, the priest at this time and he goes and they eat. And they give him bread to eat with him and his companions. And he says this, Jesus is referring to that which happens in 1 Samuel 21, uh, verses 1 through 6. And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in, need, was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Then continuing on in chapter 3, And again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see. I mean, picture this. This is the Pharisees. They're watching Jesus. They're like, all right, it's Sabbath. Let's pay attention to Jesus. Let's see if he does something that breaks the law of Moses. So again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger. I mean, see the anger of Jesus in this moment. He looks at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, 
stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians. The Herodians were people who, get the word Herod, who uh, were in favor and would agreement with Herod and the Greek um, culture that they would bring. They was they were very much Roman Empire would bring their culture and the plural pluralism and the and their view on sexuality and all the different things. They bring their Greek culture. And so this group of people were Herodians. They were they were saying they were followers of God, but also they agreed with this philosophy of the the Roman government. And so here they seek the with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. We had a hint last week of the bridegroom, Jesus, the husband, being snatched away. And here we get to see the story as it be unfolding, as they're seeking and thinking and plotting how to destroy this Jesus. But we have two more controversies, right? We saw both of them. We've looked at these now five that, that lead this section of chapter 2, verse 1, all the way to chapter 3, verse 6. These five controversies. And these last two are marks of what we see over and over again throughout the Gospels are different ways that Jesus was confronted about the Sabbath. Over and over again, a lot of the controversies and things were around the Sabbath. And I think that's important for us as we look at this passage this morning. And really all I want to do really briefly is, is give you three application points from this passage because, uh, I mean, again, when we read the Sabbath, we're trying to figure out what does it mean, but then how can we apply this idea of Sabbath to our lives? And the first one is this, is God's intention for the Sabbath is restoration, not restriction. God's intention, his design behind Sabbath was restoration, not restriction. You see, he wanted to bless his people with rest, but it had turned into a burden. All that we see with these 39 laws is great burden put on the people. How far can I walk? What can I carry? What do I not do? It became all about what not to do and not about rest and restoration. You see, God's intention was for the Sabbath to be a time of restoration. And he was showing that. Did, did God need to rest after creating all things? Does he get tired? Does he slumber? Does he sleep? No. The psalmist over and over again tells us this, that we should be thanking God that even while we sleep, God is awake, paying attention. The Lord is our keeper. It's a psalm we looked at earlier this summer or this past summer. He's our keeper. He stays up. He's always awake. He's always alert. Why does, why does God rest? There's a principle that we're going to look at, but it's rest because he's finished. He was finished with his work. He had, his handiwork is done. He had put all the stars. He had named all the stars. The universe is into existence. He would created man. He steps back and he enjoys his creation. It's not about man like, okay, well, we're just going to rest today because I, I got a big agenda on, on the eighth day. No, God sets aside that day for one, to teach us something, but also, too, to enjoy the creation. He's completed it. There's no more work to be done in that part of creation, in creating things. I mean, think about why this makes Jesus so angry in these verses. You know, when you see in this story, when Jesus looks at them and he's, he's angry at what they're doing. Why? Because he's seeing that they miss it. They missed the intention behind why God had given them the Sabbath in the first place. Why had he given them the Sabbath? It was for rest. 
It was to restore their weary hearts, to put them to help them to trust God that He'll provide like He did with the people of Israel and the manna in Exodus 16. He's about healing and healing the brokenness. And here in this story, we see here the people. What are the Pharisees doing? They're looking and they're watching and they're seeing, is Jesus actually going to heal this guy? <laughs> Instead of looking with amazement and going like, I wonder if he's going to heal this guy. Like, let's, I can't imagine. What is this going to look like? Is he really? I mean, I've seen this guy. He's not able to work. His, his hand's been, has been paralyzed for, for decades or weeks. Or maybe they saw the, a nasty accident. And they're like, dude, your arm is gross. It's just, <laughs> like it is torn up. They all have seen it. And they're on this Sabbath day. Is this guy going to do some work today? Is he going to heal someone? Because they believed, and it's set up again. Yeah, it's good to help someone, but only if it's life and death. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? Like, you genuinely, like, you, like, really get hurt. Your leg is pointing the wrong direction. And everyone's like, I'm sorry, we'll wait till sunset. <laughs> we'll set that back in place after sunset, right? Like, or tomorrow. And you're like... Just stuck here on the side of the road. Can't help you. That's too much work on Sabbath. Like, I can't, I can't do that. And, and so that was what was happening. They're like, well, this isn't a serious problem. This guy's just got a, a messed up wrist or hand injury. Uh, that, that Jesus could wait till, till Sunday or Monday to fix this. He doesn't have to do it on Sabbath day. So they're watching. <laughs> and God is upset. Why is he upset? Why is he so angry? Why is he frustrated? Because he sees the hardness of their hearts. That they could care less about who, someone who's hurting. They care less about people, but more about rules and regulations and keeping this law. That was man-made. God had said not to work, but he didn't define what that looked like. He was giving it as a gift of restoration, and yet they had turned it into a, a, a lot of rules and regulations. I like what Tim Keller observed about this, this withered man. He says this, their hearts were as shriveled as the man's hand. I think that's so true to see these Pharisees, their hearts were so shriveled, they were so hardened to the things of God that there was no compassion for this man. They have zero compassion for this man. All they want to do is make sure that Jesus messes up so they can catch him. And yet Jesus is seeking to love and show compassion. He's desiring to bring healing and restoration to a man. Like this makes the most sense to do on a Sabbath day, to bring healing and restoration, not restriction. This is what the Pharisees were good at doing, and this is what I think we can easily do. We can elevate rules to the equivalent of the Bible. You see, Sabbath became a day of fear, a fear of what you can and can't do, not an actual day of rest. You see, Sabbath was to be a blessing, and now it was a burden. I like what Kevin DeYoung also said in referencing, he was talking about in his, um, in talking about Sunday, he's written several articles and and, um, uh, with Sunday when it's coming, he's most famously, I think, known from his article standpoint is writing on uh, Christmas Day when it's on a Sunday and calling churches to stay open on that Sunday, even when it's Christmas Day. In talking about Sunday, he said this in, in this topic. He said, the question should not be for the Christian what we can't do today, but how does God want to give me grace today? In what ways by me pausing, by me stopping, does God want to grace me with something? How does God want to bless me as I rest and look for restoration in this? And so God's intention for the Sabbath was not restriction. It was restoration. 
Second, I think, application that we can take from this passage is this, is we worship God by trusting him enough to rest. You see, we worship God by trusting him enough to rest. I think of the Israelites again. Back in Exodus 16, as they're wandering in the wilderness, as they're heading towards Mount Sinai and going to the promised land, they're going to end up wandering for 40 years in the wilderness after being slaves for 400 years in Egypt. And as they're wandering, as they're going, God was saying, I'm going to provide for you. I want to bless you. So trust me. Trust me enough that I will meet your best and biggest needs. I mean, there was the year of Jubilee. There was other years where the people were to actually not do anything for a whole year to their fields. And you're like, can you imagine today in this culture? I mean, like we, I mean, already I'm sure the pressure is on Chick-fil-A. Like, like yes, we make, God is blessed and brought a lot of money. But can you think, if we just were open another day, how much more money we could bring into our, to our business and to our, uh, into our pockets, Right. I mean, I'm sure there's questions. I'm sure that comes up in a lot of board meetings, in a lot of meetings. Every once in a while, someone's like, man, but do you know how much money we make in a day? If we just worked on Sunday, think how much more we could make. But maybe, just maybe, God's blessing them through their decision, uh, the Kathy family, to decide to say, no, we're not going to be open on Sunday. I think it's pretty remarkable. This is a principle we see in Scripture. It is, can we trust God enough that He actually cares enough and will meet our needs to rest? Or, here's another problem that we have, are we lazy and undisciplined enough to not get all of our work done that it leads and it bleeds into everything? I know this is a struggle for me. A lot of times it bleeds into time away. And it's like, well, if I just would have been more disciplined with my time and said, all right, I'm going to focus right now and work hard on this. And I'm going to complete my task in five days, in six days, whatever it takes, so that I can really step away from everything and say, you know what? God has got this under control. I can trust other people. They can handle phone calls. They can handle other things. I can step away. This is the principle that we give. And what we are doing is we're worshiping God by saying, I trust you enough. I trust that you're going to take care of my needs. That I don't have to keep working. You see, in our culture, it's pretty, pretty remarkable. Um, 50% of Americans don't use all of their paid time off. 50%, almost half. Um, when you think of like the, the use of time away and time off, we see that even as a principle in America, it's kind of work or it's, it's sometimes not even just lazy work, but it's kind of like, again, it's undisciplined work. And so you're working, but you're not really working, but you're working all the time. And so that's exhausting. And so to lock in and work hard, that's what the people of Israel were to do the year before. He was going to bless them that year where they were going to take a year off from the fields and not plow the fields, not sow, not reap. They were just to leave it completely left alone. What was God going to do on the sixth year? The sixth year, he was going to bless them doubly. He would bring rains, and they would have more than enough for that year. You see, God was providing for their needs, and he was teaching them to trust him. You see, I think Sabbath rest teaches us to trust God. I like what J.P. Morgan said. Um, He said, I can do a year's work in nine months, but not (laughs) twelve. He's like, the idea of take, he's like, I can work hard, I can put a lot of effort in, but if I try to just work for 12, I won't get as much done. It's kind of the opposite principle that we think. If we worked more, we would get more done. But we see the principle in Scripture over and again with God's provision. 
that he'll provide when we step back. Now, I'm going to teach a few principles on this in a second, but this does not just mean that we're just be lazy, that we're to be like, all right, well, I'm just going to go do mindless tasks and I'm just going to just like all these things and kind of forget my family and leave them because I'm going to go do this and do that and go do these things that I love to do and I'm going to just leave this. No, we're to rest. Men, you need rest. Women, you need rest. Stay at mom, stay at home moms, you really need rest. Students, you need rest. I would encourage you, don't study seven days a week. Study hard, apply, work hard, but take some time off. Your body needs restoration. God, why do you think God gave us, why can't we just work all the time? Why do we get tired and have to go to bed? God's the creator, why does he do this? Is this just because we're broken because of the brokenness of our world and sin nature and all these things? No. God designed us to sleep. Why? It's to help us to see that you can't do everything on your own. You need God to take care of things while you're sleeping. The universe is continuing on, not because it's just a random universe and it's just kind of staying together somehow and we're spinning on an axis. No, God himself is the sustainer of all things. Christ himself is spinning the earth at just the right speed and just the right axis for us to have sustainable life. You see, God is in control, and we worship God by trusting Him enough to rest. We need rest. This is an important principle that we see in Scripture, that we need rest. And so we work very hard. We give it our absolute best and our all, but then we set it aside. Something I'm trying to work on still with sermon preparation, for instance, because in my mind I'm always like, there's a little bit more I could do. There's a little bit more I could do. I could think a little bit more. And I have a hard time letting it go and saying, all right, Friday is over. I've done the work of the sermon prep. We're putting it away. But what happens is Saturday, I'm still kind of wrestling with things. And then it turns into like the boys are wanting to play. But in my head, am I really present? I think we all can agree that we've been like that in different ways, right? We have work on our mind and things in our mind. And so we're, we're, we're present, but we're not really present. God's teaching us with Sabbath rest to step back and to rest and to trust Him enough to rest. And that is a way that we worship God is through rest. Thirdly and finally is this. The Sabbath was designed to point us to the ultimate rest found only in Christ. See, the Sabbath was designed to point us to the ultimate rest found only in Christ. Look back at our passage again this morning. Here, Again, in verse 18 and, and, and following is we see the first story of, of uh, or verse 23, sorry, verse 23. The Sabbath, they're going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. They're doing something that actually is not unlawful. They had they'd written out laws and different things that you couldn't take a sickle or you couldn't harvest the fields. But, but like, if you remember, even when we studied Ruth, and if some of you have been with us with Ruth, a lot of you probably weren't because that was over a year ago now or around a year ago. At this time, we were looking at the story of Ruth and how God had, had allowed a way that when they were harvesting fields, in your field that you own, if you're a landowner and you had these fields, you would leave the edges, around the edges, you wouldn't touch those. Because God had instituted that to, to be a way to provide for the widow and the poor, the, the homeless, that they could gather from the edges of the field and so they could gather this grain. And here, even in this story, it's not like they took, they took an axe or they took a, a, a winnowing fork and they were working to get the, the grain off so they could eat. No, all they do is take their hands and they grab uh, from there and grab this, this grain. And they take it. 
and they eat from it. And then they're saying, well, why are you doing this? You're not allowed to do this. Have you never read? And then Jesus responds with the story of David. But notice what he says at the very end, verse 27. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You might be like, well, what does that actually mean? Well, what he's meaning is this. God gave us. It's a gift. I'm giving you Sabbath. It is for, it is for man. It's not man's job to be like, oh, I've got to put this rule and this rule and all these restrictions that we were talking about earlier. No, he gives it to us. He says, the Sabbath was made for man. I'm giving to it as a gift. It's my grace to you. Rest. But it become a burden. And then Jesus said this statement. This goes directly I think it's such a strong statement. Jesus is, we've been seeing this, his authority through these texts and through chapter 1 and chapter 2, his authority to forgive sins, his authority to, to drive out demons, to, that demons, when he, we're going to see this in chapter 3, when he walks by, the demons tremble, and they're like, they proclaim who he is, the Son of God, they know who Jesus is. Jesus is telling us who he is slowly and through different statements and through different things he does. And he says this statement in verse 28, so the Son of Man... It's the second time we've seen this phrase. It's his favorite statement about himself. He'll call himself this the most. Son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. See, what Jesus is saying is, I invented it. I created it. I created you and all creation. Jesus doesn't say what he could have said. I have the authority to change the Sabbath rules. No, he goes further and says, he is Lord of the Sabbath. I am the source of Sabbath rest. I am the fulfillment of the Sabbath. You see, the Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ. Christ is the greater Sabbath. Sabbath, again, and when you, what, what you will learn to find as you interpret Scripture and as you read Scripture, what you will see is how the Old Testament is just always pointing us to Jesus. All these different stories, all these different things are showing us and revealing us Jesus and his coming. And they're pointing us and directing us to who Jesus is. It's a, there's a greater. There's, there's Noah, who's a picture of Jesus. He is, here he is. God gives him, gives him this call to, to build a huge ark and to be a rescuer for his family and the people. Again, a type Jesus, a type Christ. We see David as this one who was the great king of Israel. These, he seemed like he's the one that all the prophecies were talking about. But no, they were talking through David to a greater David, a greater king, King Jesus, the king of kings that we were singing about earlier. You see, the Son of Man is, is Lord even of the Sabbath. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4. It's towards the back of your Bible. Sometimes that's a little harder to find. Um, but if you get to the first Peter, second Peter, First, second, third John, you've gone too far. If you're at the um, accordance, you've definitely gone too far. But a little bit before that, um, Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 8, the writer of Hebrews. Hebrews is a great book to study, but I would encourage you to have a commentary with you uh, as you read it. But it, it helps you see the Old Testament much more clearly as you study this, because Jesus the picture in Hebrews is Jesus is the great high priest. And you're like, well, the high priest is all Old Testament and all the sacrificial laws and all those things are a fulfillment of Christ. And the, the book of Hebrews helps us see that. Look at verse 8. It says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, notice this, and you can underline this if you like. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. 
For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. He's picturing a future rest, a a fulfillment of rest, that there is a rest beyond a day, a week that we set aside to rest. He tells us we will in heaven go to an eternal Sabbath. And that helps us see a statement that Jesus makes in Matthew chapter 11 that I want to read to you. It's one of the best um, sta- like statements that you can read about Jesus, uh, of himself, as he himself is speaking. Hear what Jesus says about himself. It's a beautiful statement, verse 28. Matthew 11, verse 28, he says, come to me. Hear those words, come to me. He invites you in. You see, restrictions seems like you're keeping people out. Restrictions, restrictions, restrictions. All these Sabbath rules and regulations, it's restricting. It's so restricting. And Jesus says, come. He says, come to me, all who labor. And are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And notice this, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, Jesus is saying, come to me with your heavy burdens. And this isn't just like the heavy weight of anxiety and fear. Yes, God invites you to do that. In this passage, the direct application is the burdens of keeping the law, being good enough, working for, to earn God's favor. Um, probably the, the, the most helpful statement over the past probably five, six years for my life that's helped me understand the gospel and how it speaks into my heart on a daily basis is this is I don't know if it started with Tim Keller but I first heard it from him and he says this religion says I obey so I will be accepted right I mean isn't that kind of what we look at in life I, I, I obey therefore I'm accepted if I that's what every religion that's what all religions are doing obey certain rules and regulations follow this do this don't do that and you'll be accepted by God Follow these rules, follow these 10 steps to be with God in eternity. You know, follow these different, do a different pilgrimage, do a different thing. You know, observe certain things, follow these rules, regulations, follow the Sabbath rules and regulations. Make sure you wash yourself and purify your, you know, get baptized multiple times in certain lakes, in certain ponds, in certain religions. Do these things. So, so religion says, I obey, so I will be accepted. But rather, here's the gospel, this is the, 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 Man, the gospel is just turning religion on its head. He says this, the gospel says, I am fully accepted in Jesus, therefore I obey. See, because Jesus is inviting you, he is already accomplishing. You say, well, I think I may have heard this, you know, we'll say this around Christmas, I mean, around Easter time. You know, as Jesus goes to the cross and he's in his final breaths, he's about to die, he makes a statement that is so strong. He says this, he says, It is finished. He doesn't say, I am finished. 
He says, it is a finished. What is it? What is finished? All that he came to do. He had now paid the price for sin by taking it to himself on the cross. And he declares it is finished. And because he has declared it finished, we don't earn it. We don't come. He is. Sabbath was designed to point us to the ultimate rest only found in Christ Jesus our Lord. We come to him with our burdens. We come to him with our sinfulness. And we come to him as a weary, broken-hearted soul who is in need of desperate rest. Rest for our souls. And Jesus says, come to me. He says, come to me, all you are burdened and heavy laden. And notice what he says. I will give you rest. And what does he say later on? He says, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. The great uh, philosopher and theologian Augustine um, was kind of not, made famous for a lot of different statements. Um, but one was this. He, he, he made this. It's almost like a prayer that we could turn it into. He says, uh, like we're at unrest oftentimes in our life. He says, may we be at unrest until I find rest in Christ Jesus alone. You see, our souls are at unrest. You, you, you might be trying to fill it with happiness, and you're trying to fill your life with joy, and like you think this will make me happy, and this will fulfill me. Like If I have more children, that will make everything better. If I have a, a better marriage, or maybe you're like, maybe if I have a better spouse, and so all these different things, we think they will, they will satisfy, and they will give us rest. I'll finally be at shalom, peace, which is a lot of what this word really is that we see in Sabbath, is this idea of greater shalom, peace with God. And so you think that this is going to bring peace and I'll finally be satisfied. And so you, you try foods, you try relationships, you try work, you try giving your life to a good cause, all these things. And you're doing religious things maybe and you're trying to earn your way with God. And God says, no, none of that's going to work. You're never going to be satisfied. You're always going to be at unrest until you find ultimate rest in Christ alone. Because he declared it is finished we can rest in what He has done. You see, the way we observe real Sabbath is when we are putting our soul's rest in Christ Jesus alone. Religion says, I obey, so I'll be accepted. The gospel says, I am fully accepted because of what Christ has done. Therefore, it leads me to a life of obedience. My obedience and my works and my living for Him are because of what he has done, not I do this so that he will accept me. That's religion. And Jesus is trying to bash down the religious practices of the Pharisees. And he's saying, look, I am Lord of the Sabbath. I am ultimate Sabbath rest. Come to me, all you who are weary. So let me ask you, are you weary? Maybe spiritually, are you weary? Maybe if you're, you're at unrest, you're like, I don't know. I'm not sure about my life. I'm not sure about my heart. I'm not sure about my relationship with God. I'm not even sure there really is a God. Listen, will you take the massive step of faith and say, okay, God, if you are real, reveal yourself to me. God, will you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to you. You're telling me to come to you, so I'm going to make that attempt. I'm going to come to you, God. I don't even know exactly what that looks like, but I'm going to begin with just praying and talking to you. I'm going to start with a conversation. God, will you open my eyes? And then if you're telling me your word, this is your word, God, will you reveal yourself to me in your word? And I can guarantee you he will. 
humility, come with him. This is the picture of Sabbath, is humility, saying, in pride, we work, we work, we work. In religious pride, it's self-righteousness, it's the Pharisees, it's work, work, work to get God to accept us. The relationship with Christ is it's completely counterintuitive. It's, he has already completed it at the cross. We just put our hope in what he has done, and we rest, and you'll find rest for your soul. I want to also encourage you, naturally, for those who do follow Christ, are you finding physical rest as well? Are you putting your trust in you and your ability, and you're like, well, if I don't do this, it's not going to get done. If I don't do this, how can you learn to set aside? I think I need to put some of these principles into practice personally. How can I put aside time? What do I need to do to set myself up to be able to rest? Uh, I'm not going to say that Sabbath got moved. There's nothing in Scripture that tells us Sabbath all of a sudden moved to Sunday. Sunday, though, for the church of Christ, we see it in the book of Acts, was a a day, even John in, in Revelation, he said it's the Lord's Day. It was the Resurrection Sunday. Can you imagine? Think about how much history moved. That the Jews who have observed Sabbath, Jewish men and women who for centuries, for as long as they were the people of Israel, had observed the Sabbath day on a Saturday and would worship God on that day to take Jewish men and women and after Jesus rose from the dead to shift that. (laughs) Can you imagine how hard it is to change just like add a different service time for a church? Can you imagine moving a day and saying no longer Saturday, Sunday is the day because it's resurrection day. It's the day that he rose from the dead. And so for Christians like 2,000 years back have observed Sunday as a day they have set aside to worship. Is there, can we, can we go lift things that are heavier than a fig? Yes. Can we enjoy the, the, the day? Can we go and enjoy a time at the park? Can we ride bikes? Can we, can we go to enjoy different things? Yes. But what I say, is that going to take you away from the gathering of God's people? That's where I would be like, man, my kids are not going to be on a travel team. My kids are not going to do certain things because I believe this day is important and we set it aside as a priority to God, to worship Him. But we do not want to become legalists and we do not want to put all these restrictions and miss the point that God is graciously giving us rest through a Sunday, through maybe for some, like for me, like I'm working a lot on Sundays, to move it to another day of the week, a day that you set aside. I'm not going to work today. I'm going to set it aside and I'm going to rest. We need it. And it show, it, we give worship to God through that, by resting in Him. I want to encourage you with that this morning as well. So let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your goodness. Thank You for Your mercy. Thank You for Your grace. What grace that You would give us to allow us to rest. God, help, help us. We miss things so often. Man, I, I can't imagine. So many people don't get Jesus. I think they, they, they see Christians maybe in their hypocrisy. Or they see all these things and they miss who you are. And I've, I really believe if people saw you for who you really are, they would be infatuated with you. They would worship you. So God, help us to present you well through our own trust of you. God, help us. Help us in our resting. Help us to take time to rest. Help us to take time to, to trust in you, that we would not put our trust in ourselves and our own abilities and our talents, and that we would Maybe be lazy. Maybe be more disciplined with our time and how we use it. But God, help us to ultimately find our rest. A rest for our souls that's only found in Christ. We fill it with all kinds of things. Trying to make ourselves happy and satisfied and content. But God, we'll never be content until we find rest in you. So help us to rest in you. Help us to trust you. 
And God, as we, as we sing this song kind of as a response of the goodness of Jesus, help us to see how good you are. You're so good to give us rest. So help us to do that. Help us to rest. May it be a posture of our hearts that we would rest in you. So help us in all these ways. It's in your son's name we pray.